Welcome to Strategy Talk, where the editors of Strategy Page discuss current events with a splash of history. I'm Dan Masterson, host of Strategy Talk. With me today is the editor of Strategy Page, well-known military author and game designer, Jim Dunnigan. Also joining us is the associate editor of Strategy Page, columnist and author, Austin Bay. Welcome, Austin and Jim. So, Jim, help me out a bit. I am confused. Is Z in China returning to imperialism or is he returning to Marxist Leninism? Well, China never stopped being a, uh, how should I put it, a communist police state. But his recent, his recent as, uh, you know, assumption of uh, total power uh, basically uh, makes it more of a less of a market economy because when he officially took his third term, which is unprecedented, nobody's supposed to do that here since the 1980s, uh, the stock market went down 6%. And a lot of people, uh, you know, entrepreneurs, you know, wealthy people who have, uh, you know, passports for other countries, you know, second, secondary citizenships, an escape citizenship, so to speak, uh, they are using it and getting out while they still can. Uh, uh, Xi has made it clear that he will brook no opposition from anyone. In fact, during the uh, October, uh, you know, meeting they hold every five years, the Politburo and what have you, he had his uh, predecessor, uh, was a Xi Pintao, uh, publicly removed during the meeting. He uh, Xi was uh, sitting next to him, and suddenly two guys came up and 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 took him away, and he protested, but. That basically summed it up in a nutshell. He also uh, added um, two new people to the uh, Politburo, uh, the head of the National Police and the head of intelligence. So I think that gives you an idea of where this is going. When he, before he uh, reached his uh, 10th year, he had himself uh, declared, I forget the exact term, but basically he put himself in the same class of Mao Zedong. You know, one of the, the founders of uh, uh, you know Chinese communism. Uh, so yeah, you could say it's going back to communism, but it's not going to go back very successfully because it's a market economy that started in the 1980s that has made China rich, and uh, by embracing, you know, uh, uh, you know, a, a command economy rules uh, where you know you have to go through Xi uh, to get anything you know approved. And already a couple of billionaires have had their wings clipped, so to speak, because they apparently uh, did not obey Xi's instructions. Um, it's not looking good. And, of course, China's already in economic problems because they have a, a real estate uh, bubble, which is bursting. And uh, China is frantically, you know, trying to uh, contain that. Now, they're doing it primarily by having uh, foreigners and a lot of local Chinese investors, you know, eat it, take a haircut, as they say, you know, lose their their investment. He's trying to uh, limit the pain on the individuals uh, who are basically uh, paid money up front for an apartment or, you know, or, or home. And uh, Evergreen, the, the largest real estate company in China, which is in trouble, um, has is not able to complete or even restart construction. Uh, that's just one of many problems. I mean, the stock market, of course, but, you know, all over the country, you have uh, economic problems that were never there before. You know, one of them, for example, one of the, uh, the foreign uh, influences of this is the uh, people who were uh, Japanese and uh, American firms and Western firms, in, well, not so much 
European firms. They're trying to uh, get more business in China. Um, but they basically have ad- moved their operations uh, in China to like uh, other low, uh, high, high quality, uh, but low wage countries like uh, Vietnam. Um, and uh, and they are go- basically uh, showing that they do not believe that China has a uh, a future. Now China is also upset with uh, their their former you know uh, ally, so to speak, uh, Russia, for getting involved in the war in Ukraine. Uh, she has basically met with uh, with Putin uh, in the last few months. And he did so, you know, in, in company with the head of uh, India. Uh, and they basically delivered the message that proceeding with this war was not good for their relations. Now, uh, both China and India are major customers uh, for, you know, Russian goods. Now, China is willing to take a lot of oil from Russia. It's hard to get it because they haven't built a pipeline yet, but they only take it at a large discount. So Russia's making some money, not as much as it did. In fact, Russia just opened uh, the long, you know, uh, projected uh, Arctic, uh, you know, ice-free uh, shipping channel. It's not totally ice-free, but it's ice-free enough. And they have built more icebreakers, uh, you know, to go out front if there's if there's a problem. So uh, Russia's scrambling to uh, to move its um, its stalled, you know, uh, oil. The natural gas is another problem. Uh, they're basically building new pipelines, but that's going to take several years. So, you know, there's great chaos, as it were, in, uh, in, in Chinese uh, economics. Uh, there's, a, there's a recent meeting with German um, uh, companies and the, and the head of Germany, a senior German official uh, with China to try and, you know, broaden relationships. Germans are taking the chance that, you know, with everybody else leaving, uh, China might welcome them. Uh, that has not been, you know, th- that has not ended those discussions and what will come out of it. Uh, but, you know, these are German firms that uh, basically had to bail out of Russia and they're hoping China will be uh, more reliable uh, and, you know, offer, you know, good terms. But that remains to be seen. So, Austin, what do you see the effects of what Z has done here recently? Well, look, here's the here's the. Let's focus on what he did recently. He basically makes himself uh, emperor of China, which is the way the, the Jim Dunnigan has, has been uh, framing it uh, in his pieces for uh, a strategy page. What, what Shai's done is put Deng Xiaoping's economic uh, reform revolution that, that certainly had a fabulous uh, economic uh, and financial payoff for China. He's he, he's put it at risk. And I'll like explain it if we. You have to review what what Deng Xiaoping did. Seventy-eight, seventy-nine. Deng formulates what he calls his opening up and reform policies. But basically, they were designed to create a market economy within what he called uh, the socialist state. Uh, sometimes the greater uh, socialist socialist state. Because he realized that for China to modernize, it needed money <laughs> and it needed technology. And that's it was going to require connecting to the uh, international uh, trading, international economic, uh, economic uh, s- system. So that's what 
opening up and reform that we're we're going to you know, going into business. But at the same time, and this comes out in you know, I've got the year on this because I, I wrote something about it in Cocktails from Hell, is four cardinal principles. And what Dung did with those cardinal principles, he enshrined uh, communist Chinese uh, party uh, absolute dominance. Uh, one, one, of, one of them is that uh, it, it, the cardinal principles that the Chinese government, the Chinese people would and uphold the socialist path. I know that sounds like something out of the Cold War. Well, guess what? It, uh, it, it certainly is. But at the same time, in opening up and reform, what Deng said, <clears throat> to have this market economy within the socialist state was going to require more collective leadership. In other words, not just one man rule. It was going to need to be, you know, a party uh, agreement uh, at, at, at the top. And uh, collective leadership means that there was going to be no emperor to use, uh, no, no Mao Zedong in, in, in charge uh, until he dies. There'd be changes in leadership. And they'd be approved by the party. They they'd go through the uh, the, the congresses, and ideally you get two five year stints, then you're gone. Well, shy. What's he done? He's completely undermined it. And you know, they, you live by the four cardinal principles. Well, that's complete uh, opposition to the free market energy that produces the uh, economic uh, economic benefits uh, it, uh, it crushes creativity and 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 the, the way shy behaves he, he really doesn't care about uh, uh, individual economic initiative he wants to be able to control it and that's part of the way his you know with his i'm i'm the permanent president now and it's uh, it's a recipe, as as, as uh, Jim uh, Jim was saying. It's, it's a recipe for uh, running uh, China's uh, economic machine into the ground. So, Jim, what is the rest of the world's reaction to all of this? Well, you know, like I said, as, as I pointed out, Germany is, is trying to uh, broaden its relationship, uh, economic relationships with China, but the countries in the region, like especially. Uh, uh, Japan and South Korea, uh, they're a little more nervous. Uh, I mean, they're closer to it. Uh, uh, Japan has been, you know, has, has taken heat from uh, China uh, occasionally because of their record during World War II. The Chinese won't let them forget that. Of course, <laughs> the South Koreans will let the Japanese, you know, forget what happened uh, from, you know, 1940 to 1945 when, and when uh, Japan, uh, you know, uh, you know uh, ruled Korea. But uh, right now, you know, uh, China is is on the outs uh, with their their local uh, their local economies, especially Vietnam, Malaysia, and the two tigers as or well, of course, Taiwan. <laughs> uh, that's still an issue. Are they going to try and take China, uh, Taiwan or not? I think not, because they they're seeing what happens in in Ukraine. And I think they'll try and demoralize the Taiwanese before they try an invasion because Taiwan is very difficult to invade. Uh, it, it's it's a mountainous uh, country with very few you know beaches you can land on, 
And the Chinese have been experimenting with all sorts of, you know, workarounds. Uh, but there's no working around the fact that, uh, you know, the Taiwanese are willing to fight and they've been building up their weapons and what have you. So, uh, you know, China is basically losing ground economically and uh, and, and basically they're uh, they're not getting that, you know, uh, rapid growth every year. It used to be you know, for years it was 10 percent a year. Well, it turned out that was fake, uh, mainly because there was a big scandal when it was discovered that uh, provincial officials. Uh, we're under a lot of pressure to meet, you know, the 10 percent, you know, uh, level. And so they cook the books to do it. Now, the, the China is still the second largest economy in the world, but there's not they're not as large as as everybody thought they were. And nobody knows exactly how much of a decline there was. Um, as Austin pointed out, uh, there are fears by many foreign and local investors uh, that is going to be more difficult, if not impossible, in some cases, to make money in China, you know, going forward. Yeah, and, I, and not, something else that's been mentioned only tangentially is a big part of the problem are provincial officials. These are these are members of the uh, the uh, uh, Communist Party, and uh, they are very corrupt. But they're also under pressure from the uh, the central, you know, the the national uh, Communist Party. Uh, and uh, and there's a lot of a certain amount of tension between the two because some of the provinces are, very, are still very poor, uh, and there's a couple of provinces which are extremely rich, uh, and uh, and there's and that I think that's one reason why uh, Xi uh, promoted the head of uh, intelligence and the head of the national police. The national police actually has a fairly large paramilitary contingent, you know, so they can handle a lot of unrest. It has to really get out of, out of completely out of line uh, before they call in the army. They don't like to call in the army because the army is basically, although it's you know basically takes an oath uh, to of loyalty to the Communist Party, not to China. Uh, the generals are how should I put it less persuaded uh, that uh, you know the the current path is is the way to go, and uh, Xi really is unsure if he should basically politicize the army. In other words, choose, uh, select the uh, senior generals based on their loyalty to him rather than their capabilities. Because, again, they noticed what happened in Ukraine and with the Russians and the, China had based its military on Russia. Uh, they used similar tanks, uh, similar organization. In some ways, the Chinese were superior because they were producing somewhat superior versions of, of uh uh, Russian weapons, and that and of late they've been they've been producing uh, weapons based on the Western model, especially for their navy. So they are strong, but uh, in certain circumstances, uh, they're not they're not really sure how effective their senior military leadership will be. And if, if uh, Xi goes for the uh, you know political appointments for the senior military people. Uh, all bets are off. I mean, he knows what he's doing. He's one of the many senior leaders who have openly, you know, as as well as, you know, clandestinely, you know, Republican here, uh, you know, criticized the military and, and uh, you know, basically said openly, are you really as good as you say you are? The Army's never fought, hasn't fought a war since 1979, and they did poorly. They basically uh, invaded Vietnam to uh, chastise the Vietnamese. And they got beaten. Now, they declared it a victory. They took heavy losses. 
but the Vietnamese army had, you know, years of experience fighting the Americans, the French, and the South Vietnamese. Um, so they knew knew what they were doing. They were fighting on their home turf, sort of mini Ukraine. Uh, so China has never forgotten that, and they realized that if they go after Taiwan and and possibly strike, you know, spark a wider war, they have to depend a lot more on the army than the navy or the air force. So you know, China has problems in the military sector as well. And uh, Xi, you know, is more seems to be more concerned with his personal power uh, than solving the problems that China has. Austin, what do you think about Xi's relationship with other countries? Well, no, no, that's that's a good question, Dan. There are about six ways to go with it. Uh, well, one of the things, and then this <laughs> precedes uh, to some degree Xi, but. Uh, let's let's just take for example the uh, big Congo development deal that was first uh, or revealed in 2007. I think it was formalized in 2009. Uh, <clears throat> China was going to get access to cobalt, uh, all lots you know, the the trove of minerals that uh, uh, the Democratic Republic of Congo. Uh, possesses, but in exchange for that, not only were they going to pay "quote unquote" market prices for the minerals, they were going to build infrastructure in Congo. Uh, initially, that was going to be both roads and electric, hydroelectric power generation. And now, since really two and a half years ago, but really two years ago. It, uh, that that's just come apart because the fraud was revealed. Uh, Kong, uh, China did not put the billions into uh, infrastructure uh, infrastructure development. Uh, they paid tens of billions, probably a couple of hundred million in bribes to both Congolese and and Chinese uh, operatives uh, in Congo and in, in neighboring nations, and. So right there, the, the systemic corruption through state-owned enterprises, essentially the old communist uh, state-run uh, or, organizations that were recast as if they were, uh, you know, super-sized uh, uh, conglomerate uh, companies, except they're not. They're still SOEs, state-owned enterprises, uh, and uh, they're controlled by the Chinese government. And now, and I'm just using Congo as one example there, if you go through it, there are uh, at least uh, uh, 18 or 19 other ones around the globe where these uh, developing countries, I'm not going to call them all third world because some of them aren't, are, are wising up to what this Belt and Road Initiative was about and also you know, seeing that uh, the corruption in China is is uh, in the way China deals economically with the rest of the world is uh, it, it's devastating, and uh, it, there's a, something I have just I'll just address it peripherally is the uh, uh, financial hook that uh, that China uh, runs with some of these uh, developing countries where they get them into debt <laughs> that the Countries can no, can't can't pay back, so they start squeezing these countries for uh, further concessions and uh, also political concessions, votes in the UN and and, and like. But it 
note, and, and that, that's not exactly addressing the question that you asked Dan directly, but note, Xi Jinping makes a big deal in China domestically attacking corruption. And he's thrown, had a number of, of, of uh, some of party big shots, uh, uh, arrested, tried, and uh, uh, imprisoned. Uh, a number of the uh, of wealthy Chinese magnates that you thought were operating on their own are, are, have been stripped of their assets. And it's p- part of what Shai calls his um, uh, anti- anti-corruption campaign. <laughs> Except here's, here's the big per- corruption. <laughs> and there's, in a dictatorship like China, Almost all dictatorships suffer from this. There's no such thing as an honest court where China, mainland China, got away with it was that there were honest courts in Hong Kong. You you have British-run, administered-type courts where you could have a contract uh, litigated. Well, not anymore, Dan. And why? Because Xi Jinping violated the Sino-British Treaty uh, that was supposed to at least stay uh, in uh, stabilize, uh, uh, excuse me, protect uh, Hong Kong democracy until uh, 2047. Um, there you go. He really didn't care. And that's an end when, again, when Jim talks about uh, China, Xi putting uh, China's economic miracle at risk, there's, an, there's another example. Here's the other thing. You know, uh, internationally. And we do hear a lot about this in the United States and, and, and Canada, and that is Chinese Communist Party spying. And this is now you know, known worldwide that since the CCP really owns every company in China, that they can use that company as a uh, an intelligence resource, if not a, 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 a addition to their their spy agency. It's worse than that because ultimately the CCP, and I'm, I'm I don't mean this literally, but they they own every Chinese citizen, at least in their ability to uh, force them to act as agents of influence. Uh, and uh, and and spy. I mean, that's something that happened here in, in uh, the United States, where even uh, Chinese citizens who were working here for an American company or st- studying uh, were coerced into uh, taking on missions for the uh, CCP, and uh, it's if it's not done, and they're getting paid extra money, they they threaten their families back in China. And that is uh, a, that's a deep corruption. In, in, in this instance, this is the way I would uh, I, I'd answer your question succinctly. Shai epitomizes the worst in communist, uh, communist apparatus corruption. <laughs> I mean, the, the whole, uh, the whole, corporate 
structure that they have on the surface is ultimately a charade because you're dealing with the Chinese Communist Party and ultimately, since he's all powerful now, with the whims of Xi Jinping. Well, we'll leave it there. Watch with interest how the reign of Z goes. And we'll talk to you gentlemen next time. Take care. Bye.